0: Welcome to episode six of Grit and Gladness, where we want to spur you on to being a happy warrior in your corner of the kingdom, the area that the Lord has given you uh, dominion over and specifically as it concerns family life, being fathers and husbands, um, mothers and wives. Well, um, so I've recently started listening to a podcast, Laura, called, um, what is it, A Literary Life? That's right, A Literary Life. It's wonderful. It's three beautiful Christian minds who all are avid readers and teachers, and they come together to talk through different books, um, and it's just delightful. And one of the things they do at the beginning is they each read from what they call and what is called a commonplace journal. And a commonplace journal is where you just write down a quote a day of something that struck you that day from what you're reading or something you've heard, and so we wanted to rob them of that idea. We thought it would be fun for us to start off with a little commonplace journal part, as it were. Um, so, Laura, why don't you kick us off here?
1: Taken from the rich and given to the poor. This is us enriching <laughs> That's you. That's right. Um, it's that kind of robbery. <laughs> well, gosh, as I was thinking about what I've been encountering this week, um, I've been reading from or reading things that help me understand the times a little bit better Um, as we're shaping tweens and teens, you know, it's just constant. And toddlers. And toddlers, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Um, It starts there, right? Right. Um, So I've been reading um, The uh, Coddling of the American Mind, and uh, it's been very eye-opening. And then i paired that with watching Netflix's um, Social Dilemma with our 16-year-old the other night. And um,
0: just, What's the Social Dilemma about?
1: Yeah, the Social Dilemma is about the, um, it's really some tech high industry, uh, tech industry, um, former CEOs, designers, the men that actually design things like the like button, the infinite scroll, the things that we see featured on our um, Pinterest, and social media accounts um, that make its use uh, what we would say probably more user friendly. They would say more ad friendly. They're able to sell us more. Um, and so it was just really exposing how they are tapping into the human psyche or the very essence of humanity. I would say um, to uh, exploit, exploit, mean. inform, misinform. Um, and and just its basic effect on us. Mm -hmm. Now, you and I aren't super social media junkies, um, but it did help me think through, even in soft ways, just how our our phones and the um, ubiquitousness of people having access and you having access to people constantly through texting and group threads and things like that, how we're even seeing that shape our children. Um, There's an added pressure of, you know, did they respond to the text that I floated out there? And it becomes its own small version of social media when you have tweens that are group texting for the first time. Mm -hmm. And um, we're definitely experiencing that draw, especially with a social girl. We had a boy go through the first round of gauntlet uh, of tweening, and his Um, social outlet was more like gaming Mm -hmm. but this um, this connection this relational connection is kind of the next battlefield for us um, with the girls yeah and so I just want to be thoughtful about um, the ways that we're engaging technology and informed
0: yeah yeah and and I think we were would both agree that we were kind of taken aback so one of our um, our oldest girls she doesn't have a, a smartphone but she'd we did give her a flip phone um, with some features and video and all of that um, and just how powerful the impact was on her emotional life and where we hit pause for a little bit and it was almost like a uh, switch flipped and, and she even said I, I just I feel happier um, without it and so again just a real life cautionary tale of the power of, of these things um,
1: yeah and I think that story of the loss of her phone and then her making this admission about feeling happier and lighter without it, um, it didn't confirm to me how mature she is. I already know that. But it did confirm to me her need to be parented, Mm -hmm. which is my job. It's your job. It's our job um, to put up parameters that make that navigable for them. And um, so we've just been, uh, I have been thinking a lot about, how to serve them best with the tools that we now get to use. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be, um, I don't want to hide our kids in a bomb shelter and then come out 20 years from now and be like, Oh my gosh, my parents <laughs> never told me. Right. But I do want to be equipping them to use things as tools and not to be uh, mastered by them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I didn't I didn't see this part, but I think you mentioned how they said the, how the only two industries that talk of the people who um, use their things as users is the drug industry and the technology industry.
1: That's right. And having worked closely with addiction for years, Mm. I I see the parallel there.
0: Yeah, so we're in the battle with you, but we really can't state strongly enough how important it is to get on the front end of um, how will technology be used in our home to the glory of God as a tool, not where we become the tool in the hands of others. Um, another book that we would recommend is called "The Tech Wise Family," um, so check that out as well. Um,
1: yeah, and one that I haven't read yet, but I plan to, is um, 12 Ways That Your Phone Is Changing You by Tony mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Because for us, our kids don't have social media accounts, but I do want to know even how these devices are gaining mastery over them. And I want to equip them to be the masters of those devices. Yeah,
0: that's well said. Okay, well for me, um, my commonplace passage comes from, so I'm reading... A book called "The Life and Letters of Stonewall Jackson" by his wife. So I love Stonewall Jackson. This is no secret anymore, and um, this is a, just a precious book because it, it's written by his wife. He, she just adored him, and he absolutely adored her. The ground that she walked on, and she didn't even put her title or her name on the on the cover. She just said "by his wife," which is so endearing. And um, and as the name would suggest, it has many of his letters. Um, so you get a really Um, intimate sketch of what most people know as one of the fiercest um, stoutest generals ever but he he adored his wife and this is just one sample of you can give i could give you 500 examples of this but this is one letter that he sent to her he said i am very thankful to an ever kind providence for enabling you so satisfactorily to arrange our home matters i just love my business little woman let Mr. Tebbs have the horse and rock away at his own price, and if he is not able to pay for them, you may give them to him, as he is a minister of the gospel. I have written to you, as you requested to Winchester, that if you were there to come on, but, my little pet, whilst I should be delighted to see you, yet if you have not started, do not think of coming. My habitual prayer is that our kind Heavenly Father will give unto my darling every needful blessing, and that she may have that peace which passeth all understanding and I just so admired the way that he delighted in her and articulated um his faith just it it just colored everything he said um probably his most common line is an ever kind providence the man was just struck not just with the sovereignty of God but with the goodness of God over Mm -hmm. all things and um and I actually like the beginning of this this next letter as well, um, it, kind of the playfulness in their dynamic. So this is her now speaking. The next letter touches upon the persistent um, secrecy and reticence in his military affairs, which has already been noticed and shows that even to his wife, he did not confine his plans any more than to his comrades in arms. June 4th. Little one, you wrote me that you wanted longer letters, and now just prepare yourself to have your wish gratified. And he goes on from there to say that he can't speak about military things. He is eager to speak about how much he misses her and loves her and delights in her. So Life and Letters of Stonewall Jackson, um, so good, so rich.
1: Yeah, so with that, I think we could launch into last week.
0: Our book study. Yes. So if you're just tuning in to to Grit and Gladness, um, we are also um, doing parallel book studies, me with some men through a book called Father Hunger, and Laura with some um, ladies called The Excellent Wife. So Laura, why why don't you fill us in on this last week?
1: Yes. So last week, we started a new section in our book. Part two of this book covers the wife's responsibility in the home, uh, or generally, I should say and it's the faithful commitments of the excellent wife. And so that chapter, chapter seven, was um, about a wife's heart being devoted to Christ. So her primary faithful commitment is um, to Jesus. Hmm. And uh, we talked a lot about having divided loyalty by idolatry and how our hearts are just prone to be idol factors. Being a Christian doesn't change that for you. although the Lord does equip you to be able to uh, recognize and repent from the sin of idolatry and to purify your heart all the more, you know, increasingly uh, through the process of sanctification. And so um, that's what we talked through. We looked at lists of common idols that that ladies have. Um, We then talked about the concept of because of that idolatry, Um, it could cause us to run to false saviors, Mm. which I think you even talked about in your um, Mm -hmm. chapter this week too, but that a wife would then find refuge in something other than Christ alone. So she was saying, when you recognize idolatry, you repent of that and you go to Christ. Um, You get the idol out of the way so you can go push, be pushed closer to Christ rather than the idol pushing you further away from your devotion to Christ and closer to something that might look like a refuge, like Mm -hmm. more media use or more um, food or um, friends or work or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And um, she really focused a lot on setting our heart towards the Lord, um, reminded me of Colossians three, where it says, set your mind on things above. And, um, so that was the primary thrust of the chapter was to, um, just be fully and wholeheartedly devoted to Christ, um, and even in your marriage. And so, That was where we focused, and it really paired well, too. Our church is going through a a gospel series and had just talked about idolatry Mm -hmm. and how the gospel purges idols from your heart if you're really meditating on all that is yours in Christ Jesus. And so it really went well with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Some things that we talked about, too, and and some some ways that ladies get hung up is um, she did a chart of wrong desires and right desires. Um, and so some things that she identified as wrong desires and keep in mind, this author has been a Christian counselor for years, a biblical counselor. Mm -hmm. So these are probably, um, things that she's encountering in counseling, but that my husband will be affectionate, that he will anticipate my needs without asking, that he will give me compliments, that he will make me feel special, that he will not hurt my feelings, that he will talk to me and share his thoughts and feelings. And that he will put me first. And she set that up against right desires that are knowing God's word and obeying it. Delighting in God. Seeking him with all your heart. That you are pleasing him and pleasing to him regardless of your circumstances. Number five was that I may cultivate an attitude of joy and gratitude in what God is doing. No matter what my husband does or does not do that I may have joy in God deciding how my life and circumstances can glorify him the most that he can and he can use me for his glory and so we talked a lot about really the wife that is having to live with certain deficits that may even be good desires mm-hmm. but that they can't become the ultimate thing for her so as a pastor how would you help that wife navigate those desires? Or what would you say to the husband who yeah, complains that his wife is having those?
0: <laughs> Even as you're reading that, I'm like, I, I, um, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I, that should be so far from the norm. I mean, th- th- this, yes, um, to everything you just said. Um, but my hope would be any man who is listening to this podcast, their, their wife isn't there. Now, it is true. Sometimes, for whatever reason, some women have almost an insatiable deficit deficit yeah that that nothing the man could do would ever be enough but i would say that's that's the minority what's what i would want to say to the men is you are to love her as christ loved the church and gave himself for her so you are to be on the lookout over your wife's soul and having a pulse on what does she need be tender-hearted towards her as christ was tender hearted towards us um Take serious Ephesians 5. I mean, God has chosen you as the man that your love is going to be the primary means of your wife's sanctification and beautification on this earth. Next to the Holy Spirit, it's the love of her husband that will sanctify her like Christ sanctified the church. That's the point of Ephesians 5 so that as men, we will be able to present our wives without any spot or blemish or any such thing. So brothers, let's make sure our wives are not running on fumes. Let's nourish them and cherish them just as Christ um, did us. Um, Let's open our hearts to them. Let's confide in them um, and let them know that they are seen and they are cherished. Um, So yes, good to build up sturdy women who um, aren't looking at their husbands in idolatrous ways but oh husbands let's make sure our wives are not running on fumes either may they know that we adore them um get the stonewall jackson book and learn if you don't know how to do this
1: (laughs) yeah and i really appreciate that brooks because i think that's the conundrum for the godly wife is what about where there really are gaps and Mm -hmm. deficits what about if your husband really isn't employing anything that looks like spiritual leadership. And I'm not talking about like something exemplary. I'm just talking about Mm -hmm. anything. Um, I think for me, my encouragement of that woman is going to be pray about it, don't nag him, encourage him where you can, um, but keep Christ and his sanctifying work ever before you, even if that's through long suffering. Mm -hmm. But I do appreciate that you would say there are some things that don't need to be left as deficits. Oh my gosh,
0: they ought, ought, exactly the opposite. I mean, we should be tending our garden, we should be nourishing. Um, and yeah, but I, I do think you're right as well though, e- even if a wife is in a hard season, that that's part of the thrust of First Peter 3 is to don't then fall into unbelief and excuse then sin or hostility in your own life that's unbelief god says that um, he can be one without a word even when he sees your respectful conduct and and the faith that you have in the lord um so these um are are certainly deep waters but um Know that you're not alone, and um, women out there, if I know your husbands and this is you, <laughs> let me know, and we'll we'll talk. Um, what
1: would you say to the husband who says, my wife's chief complaint is she doesn't feel loved?
0: I would um, make it a point to ask her weekly, how have you felt loved by me this week? I got that from my buddy um, Jason Hermansdorfer at the church. So it was just such a helpful thing. Um, he said that that's part of what they do. I don't know if it's weekly, but that was just part of the rhythm. From time to time, he'll say that. And I purpose to, to do that with you. And I, I will say, I'm usually surprised with how you answer. Um, I would not have thought when I look back at the week that whatever you said is how you would have received love. But the truth is, um, we are called to live with our wives in an understanding way, which assumes we won't understand, <laughs> at least partially. And so I would tell that brother, um, rather than to get defensive, take it as a high and holy challenge um, to, to know your wife's heart and to know how she receives love um, and to ask her and then get after that and read Senua Jackson books.
1: Right. <laughs> right. Well, that was, um, that was what we studied last week. And then this week I'm really excited because – Um, In this framework of the wife's responsibility, I get to talk about being the ruler of the home and um, managing your home well and um, those kinds of things, which I I know even for myself, I need to grow in. So Mm -hmm. I'm preparing for tomorrow night and eager to be with the ladies again.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, I appreciate your recap there. And again, just so thankful for you taking these women through through this. You do such a capable job um, and I, I just thank God for it. Um, so we were in Chapter 7 of Father Hunger this week and, and the title of this chapter alone is very striking. It's called Small Father, Big Brother. Small Father big brother. And, and the big idea of it is when fathers um, capitulate their responsibility to be strong fathers and leaders in their home, the government will gladly fill that vacuum and become the de facto father for the family and for for the country. Um, so I, I kind of set the stage for the guys by going first to Daniel 2. This wasn't in the book, but this is just where where my mind and and heart went um because i i really do think that we need to be thinking more in terms of we are living in babylon now and daniel daniel is a wonderful example for us and he was living in babylon and so in in daniel 2 we um set the stage nebuchadnezzar had just had a dream uh, the king and and he couldn't interpret it, and so he asked for all of his wise men to come and interpret this dream, and they couldn't, and so he said, okay, just kill all of the wise men, <laughs> then. Um, and and that was that that was problematic for many, including Daniel, because he he was kind of in that league, and there was a, a fellow named Arioch, the king's captain. Um, and Daniel um says what? Why is the king's decree so so urgent? Um. And Daniel went in and he he requested that he could go before the king so that he could speak wisely and interpret um, the king's dream and then spare all the wise men. Um, Obviously, he has a vested interest in this as well. And we pick up in verse 17, it says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And I'll stop right there. That line I think is so powerful um, because we are in the midst of a cultural crisis. We are in godless times, God denying times. We do not tremble at the word of God. We are very we are a proud people. And um, scripture tells us what happens to proud people. Destruction comes. And I, I really believe that we are are seeing some of that take place. And we're part of this culture. <laughs> um, and Daniel even said, we could get swept up in the judgment of God here in a sense. Um, and so he went to his his men and said we need to pray we need to seek wisdom we need to seek mercy and and that is my heart for men as well we need to pray we need to seek wisdom we need to seek mercy we need to seek repentance um and it says um picking up now in verse uh, 19 then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision that, uh, of the night then Daniel blessed the God of heaven Daniel answered and said and I, I love this prayer Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom uh, belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what it is uh, in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God, of my fathers. I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and you have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made it known to us, the King's matter. And then Daniel was able to go to the King of Babylon and to, to speak truth into the fountainhead of Babylon in a way that God's justice in that bit was um, spared the, the wiping out of the wise men, even, even there. Um, And man says so much in that that resonates with my heart. First, the urgency, um, which with discerning the times. And then as men believing that God can give us wisdom and can give us might and could even use us to turn the cultural tide in America. It starts with us. It starts with faithfulness in our corner of the kingdom. So in this um, um, chapter, it it is a bit more of, of a, a cultural analysis per se it's not so much immediately practical but i still think it's really helpful because as men it's it's wise men can discern their times the times they're living in the evils of their day but wise men also know how we got here Um, they have some knowledge of of history um and so he he talks about a few things um one of them is Roe versus Wade, um, which of course was the famous 1973 Supreme Court case that legalized abortion, which is the violent destruction of a helpless image bearer of God. Um, and, and this was no small moment in our nation's history um, where by legal decree you could destroy life in the womb now. And um, for us, th- this was especially haunting when we inquired. Unto God about his thoughts concerning life in utero. And here were a couple verses we looked at. Uh, Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. This is Jeremiah recognizing that God had called him while he was in utero even. Isaiah 49.1 Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, O distant peoples. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named me. In Galatians 1.15, the Apostle Paul, now a New Testament prophet, as it were, God set me apart from my mother's womb, and he called me by his grace. And then, of course, the beautiful Psalm 139 passage, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul. Knows it very well, and my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. And this gives us great pause because if this is true, and it is, it's the word of God that he is knitting in the womb. And that is, that is where life begins at conception. And then America says, it's okay to destroy that. We have decided to go toe to toe with the almighty and, Judgment will come from that if we don't repent. Um, And we see that the destruction of babies has always marked the corruption of a society that then judgment befalls them. In Psalm 106, 37 through 38, it says they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They poured out innocent blood. It was the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to their idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Or in Deuteronomy twelve thirty one, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done unto their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. So we re, again reflected on that, and just we've heard the the language of Roe so much that we really can get inoculated to the horror that we've been complicit in 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 our culture um over. 50 million since Roe have been aborted. And this is interesting, Laura. I actually found this out while I was studying. And California hasn't reported their number since the 90s. Wow. And, and California is the the biggest um, of all the states who would contribute to that number. Um, even this very non-Christian source that I was um, researching called it a, a California-sized caveat in, in the number. And there's many other states as well.
1: Well, and the other thing that you're the author of your book is trying to point out with the devastating effect of the decision in Roe is he, he says that even children that would be legitimate children through marriage. So in the law, you have illegitimate children that are born and conceived outside of a marriage or legitimate children born inside of a marriage, irrespective of their legitimation that the father has no say over a, the wife's decision, the mother's decision to terminate that life, which what that's speaking to is the law promoting fatherlessness.
0: Right, right. And, and, and that was Wilson's. Um, so all, all the stuff I just said, I, I, um, I would have known to a certain extent, but it really was that side, I think, that, that really struck us. He, um, he said it this way. In row, so let me step back a second. Um, it, it, that decision undermined the covenantal responsibility that every man has for every child that he contributes to conceiving. So in the world that God designed, when a man um, impregnates a woman, he is covenantally responsible to be the head of that child and to see that that child is brought up um, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That is just an immutable law of God. That's the way he de- he designed it. And And Wilson said it this way. In Roe, the Supreme Court, in effect, determined that every child is, in the eyes of the court, a covenantal bastard. That's That was the, the thrust there. They rejected what God said. Like, no, the man will be responsible to make sure that this child is cared for. And in Roe, they said, man doesn't have a say whether the child... Lives or dies, and that's not a small moment at all. And what's true is, if you tell a man that he is not responsible for deciding whether the child lives or dies, and you de incentivize marriage by subsidizing single motherhood, the sinful side of man is going to be eager to not then take responsibility for um, their children to to not. Um, marry their um, um, their their mothers of the child uh, of the children and and I think one way that we see this as well is the unbelievable increase of out of wedlock births now since Roe versus Wade. Um, since 1965 um, in in the, the white community in America, it's gone from three percent children born out of wedlock to 25 percent now, one in four. And then in the African American community, it's gone from twenty four percent in nineteen sixty five to seventy one percent in I believe that was twenty fourteen, and both of those numbers have increased uh, since then.
1: Well, and I want to break in here and say also I've been um, amazed every time I've heard the statistic on the um, the how many times a woman will change her mind about abortion right. if. The father of the yes. child is willing to stay the course with her. And what that speaks to is what's really true about the way God designed us mm-hmm. is we mothers don't really want to kill their children. Right. They're only doing that because they're they see that as an as a, a, an out. Mm-hmm. They don't want that. Um,
0: right. I mean, they, they are in this horrible, impossible situation. Right. Of they're being propagandized on the on the one side that this is normal this is even last week i heard a politician call it um, what was it women's reproductive freedom Mm -hmm. not even a reproductive right now but the euphemisms keep getting more horrible right um so there's a propaganda and then there's the father who's just left and so this poor woman is left in this impossible situation um and, and that was an important point for our guys to realize is the court's not that strong right it's because the father's allowed that to happen right um so anyways we're and i I think
1: too just um thinking about uh, first of all i don't know that there's that that issue has actually been litigated the one he points to in Mm -hmm. the book about a uh, a husband who wants his child not to be aborted i don't i'd have to do legal research on it but i've never heard of that case actually being litigated and um Then it made me think, you know, the actual case of Roe versus Wade, I think, was a complete fabrication. I don't even think, like, it wasn't someone that wanted an abortion that couldn't have one. Mm -hmm. I think they just got somebody to stand in as Roe. Um, I think that's how the story goes. But I just wondered, too, if we couldn't find that situation on the earth somewhere and that be the actual fact pattern that ends up having to force some changes with Roe that husbands do have a say, fathers mm-hmm. do have a say, right. and then it becomes something that has to be litigated. Right. Not, before, n-
0: not to my child, you
1: won't. Right. <sighs> before you can terminate a life. Right. Um, I, I just don't know that the courts have ever had that posed to them. Yeah. So it just had my imagination yeah. spinning.
0: Well, maybe. maybe Yeah. And again, I mean, that's why I started with Daniel. I, I want us as men to understand the times, understand what, what are caught up in these things that we hear about, and um, understand um, the judgment of God that we would do well to, with all of our might and all of our faithfulness and all of our prayers, push back against, um, and know what we're praying for, even.
1: Yeah, and I think also, even the title of the chapter, The Small Father, Big Brother, um as I was watching The Social Dilemma with the 16-year-old, the, the end thrust that they began to advocate for these, um, these men that work in the tech industry is for more regulation. And I'm not saying that regulation of social media um, doesn't need to happen or that it wouldn't help. But it did strike me as odd that we have to get Big Brother mm-hmm. to write overwrite code right right?
0: (laughs) so 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 what's the gospel here okay we got to get the government to do something about this
1: right this is the good news the government's gonna do this uh, reforming work through um, regulation and I turned it off because it was late and I didn't feel like that was where I wanted our 16 year old to go and I just said as Christians we are called to be Mm self-controlled and in our household you and I know that we have to be the governors on those things. We need to be the, the father that says, not in my house, you right. don't. As
0: for me in my house. This is how we serve the Lord. This is what we will do.
1: And this is how we serve the Lord with this tool. Yeah. I mean, we're using technology right now to even get this message out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just thought that was an interesting tie-in to what your study was trying to say is, as fathers become obsolete... Then we've right. got to run to Big Brother to do the regulatory work.
0: Right. And, and then w- once you get the lens on, you see it everywhere. I mean, if, if you go, if you think back to some of the presidential um, debates, even this time, they're trying to one up each other in saying the government will be the father here. The government will be the father. I mean, I, here's one quote from Bernie Sanders. He said, in the richest country in the history of the world, when the top 1% are making more than they ever had before, it is simply outrageous that one in five children will go hungry this year. So, so far we are totally agreed. So the the obvious question is, right, where are the fathers? Why in the world would 20% of children be going hungry? Why aren't their fathers providing? And he continues, so today I'm proud to propose legislation to make sure that no student goes hungry Um, and you don't hear anything about, well, where are the fathers though? No, it's now the state will provide all your childcare and all your Medicare and all your education and all your health care, and all the things, and all your uh, meals. And the obvious question is, well, aren't those what fathers provide? Right. So why don't we, why can't we ask that question?
1: Well, and I think for you and I, the important thing, the important takeaway is that the church would be building up godly households mm-hmm. that are exemplars in their community that then could enter into situations where The now father didn't have a father, and he may or may not be a Christian. And then you can say, have dinner at our house, marry the girlfriend, give that baby a family. Yes. All of those things, and so promote at least the common grace Mm -hmm. of family that God intended. If not, see those eternal souls won over for Christ for all eternity.
0: Right, right amen sorry i'm preaching um, no i it's it's so important though we, we need these fathers and look them in the eyes and say you need to take care of your business and it is a high and holy thing um children are a reward from the lord mm-hmm. so if you need help let's come alongside and disciple let's resource and yeah so that's kind of where we were at and and he was just talking about you know of course what's needed here is is for men to to take responsibility um because what has happened is men want to be sexually liberated without then having any responsibility. And Big Brother is glad to fill that vacuum in and, of course, to then to take more and more power. And um, I just found this, this quote in the chapter helpful. He said, um, The solution to recovering a godly culture in our corner of the kingdom, as we talked before, is by getting a scriptural vision for taking glad, sacrificial responsibility and then having the Holy Spirit empower us to courageously step into our roles. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And so it is the Spirit who must teach men that they have an important role to play, a role that requires them to be in full possession of their wits as well as to possess one functional backbone. And the Spirit works within the whole man, He does not just bring about self-control by means of sporadic mystic fits. The Spirit teaches. Mm. And one of the things he teaches a man is that his manhood has a point. His capacity for fatherhood is there for a reason. When a man picks up that responsibility with the intention of being serious about it, he soon finds himself living as a pillar in the family, in the church, and in the community. He also finds himself in conflict with anyone in those institutions who is seeking to profiteer off of male irresponsibility. So just say yes and amen to all of that.
1: Yeah, and I just have to say that having been a single mom for about, what, 11 months? Mm -hmm. It was absolutely excruciating. Wow. It was terrifying and i use that word as in it was very scary Mm -hmm. um it was overly burdensome and it's only by the grace of god that our little boat stayed afloat while i was bailing water (laughs) as quickly as i could and you are to be commended for stepping into a a, a ship that was uh, not far from
0: sinking Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I, it's just all God's grace. It was harrowing and, and daunting. Um, but yeah, the, the Lord put wind in my sails and he, uh, something that I've learned just in the, the f- furnace of our world is, um, anything the Lord calls you to take responsibility for, he will then give you the ability to respond to by a spirit. And so I, I truly, that's not a cliche for me. That's, that's our life for, for me. Um, okay well um laura will you um will you enter time in prayer
1: i will oh father you see us i'm reminded of hagar in the wilderness Mm -hmm. you know us lord you provide for us i'm thinking of elijah fed by ravens lord Mm -hmm. you are good to us and you know us intimately and um You also have put us here for such a time as this, and I pray that we would be um, children of light in a dark age, Father, that we would shine like lights. Father, I pray that you would give us the um, wisdom and the courage and the boldness of Daniel as we uh, face all the things in our world and in in our times, and that we would seek you with our whole heart that we wouldn't settle for idolatry, for something that um, appears like, gives the optical illusion of being able to provide only the things that you can, Lord, but that we would renounce that and we would um, devote our whole hearts to you, that we would seek your kingdom first, Lord, and expect that we have a delightful inheritance waiting for us. Thank you for... um, each family represented in this podcast. And Father, we ask your blessings to just shower on their heads, Lord. Um, and we do ask your protection um, until we can meet together next week. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, darling. Well, again, thank you for tuning in. Um, women and wives, keep keep praying for us as husbands. Um, Lord knows we need it. Um, and husbands, may our... Um, call to be the leaders in our home be nothing but an absolute comfort and joy to our wives and to our children Um, may the hearts of our wives um, be glad um, as we submit ourselves to christ okay well again our um, intro and outro music was provided by our friends the lockwoods they are wonderful they are delightful check them out at spotify Thanks.